0: I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. Damn it. I didn't know if she was better or worse than I supposed. But I wasn't going to take any chances. I had to bring her what she wanted there was a sign up ahead it read to shopping center the arrow pointed along the road when i came back to a fork and wondered which way to go there was another sign then another pointing to still more farther on i followed them to the middle of the city a big square with a park in the center and shops of all kinds rimming it the only shop i was interested in said electrical appliances i went in a neat young salesman came up and politely asked me if he could do anything for me I sounded stupid even to myself, but I said no, thanks. I'd just like to do a little browsing, and gave a silly nervous laugh. Me, an actor, behaving like a frightened yokel. I felt ashamed of myself. He tried not to look surprised, but he didn't really succeed. Somebody else came in, though, for which I was grateful, and he left me alone to look around. I don't know if I can get my feelings across to you. It's a situation that nobody would ever expect to find himself in, so it isn't easy to tell what it's like, but I gotta try. Let's stick with the ancient Egyptian I mentioned a while back, the one ordered to sneak a mummy out of the Metropolitan Museum. Maybe that'll make it clearer. The poor guy has no money he can use naturally and no idea what New York's transportation system is like. Where the museum is, how to get there, what visitors to a museum do and say, the regulations he might unwittingly break, how much an ordinary citizen is supposed to know about which customs and such. Now add to the possible danger that he might be slapped into jail or an insane asylum if he makes a mistake and you've got a rough notion of the spot I felt I was in. Being able to speak English doesn't make much difference, not knowing what's regarded as right and wrong and the unknown consequences are enough to panic anybody. That doesn't make it clear enough. Well, look, take the electrical appliances in that store. That might give you an idea of the situation and the way it affected me. The appliances must have been as familiar to the people of that time as toasters and TV sets and lamps are to us. But the things didn't make a bit of sense to me, any more than our appliances would to the ancient Egyptian. Can you imagine him trying to figure out what those items were for and how they work? Here's some gadgets you can puzzle over there was a light fixture that you put against any part of a wall no screws no cement no wires even and it held there and lit up and it stayed lit no matter where you moved it on the wall talk about pin-up lamps this is really it then i came across something that looked like an ashtray with a blue electric shimmer obscuring the bottom of the bowl i lit my pipe others i passed had been smoking so i knew it was safe to do the same and flicked in the match it disappeared I don't mean it was swirled into some hidden compartment. It vanished. I emptied the pipe into the ashtray and that went too. Looking around to make sure nobody was watching, I dragged some coins out of my pocket and let them drop into the tray. They were gone. Not a particle of them was left. A disintegrator? I hadn't got the slightest idea. There were little mirror boxes with three tiny dials on the front of each. I turned the dials on one. It was like using three dial telephones at the same time. And a pretty girl's face popped onto the mirror surface and looked expectantly at me. "'Yes,' she said and waited for me to answer. "'I, uh, wrong number, I guess,' I answered putting the box down in a hurry and going to the other side of the shop because I didn't have a dim notion of how to turn it off. The thing I was looking for was on a counter, a tinted metal box no bigger than a suitcase with a lipped hole on top and small undisguised veneers in the front. I didn't know I'd found it, actually, until I twisted a veneer and every light in the store suddenly glared and the salesman came rushing over and politely moved me aside to shut it off.' "'We don't want to burn out every appliance in the place, do we?' he asked quietly. "'I just wanted to see if it worked all right,' I said, still shaking slightly. "'It could have blown up or electrocuted me for all I knew. "'But they always work,' he said. Uh, "'Always?' "'Of course. The principle is simple, and there's no parts to get worn out, so they last indefinitely.' He suddenly smiled, as if he'd just caught the gist. "'Oh, you were joking. Naturally. Everybody learns about the Dynapack in primary education. "'You were interested in acquiring one?' No, no, the old one's good enough. I was just, well, you know, interested in knowing if the new models are much different or better than the old ones. But there haven't been any new models since 2073, he said. Can you think of any reason why there should be? I guess not, I stammered. But you never can tell. You can with packs, he said. And would have gone on if I hadn't lost my nerve and mumbled my way out of the store as fast as I could. You want to know why? He'd asked me if I wanted to acquire a Dynapack, not buy one. I didn't know what acquire meant in that society. It could be anything from saving up coupons to winning whatever you wanted at some kind of lottery, or maybe working up the right number of labor units on the job, in which case he'd want to know where I was employed and the equivalent of social security and similar information which I naturally didn't have, or it could just be fancy sales talk for buy-in. I couldn't guess and I didn't care to expose myself any more than I had already, and my blunder about the Dynapack working and new models was nothing to make me feel at all easier." Lord, the uncertainties and hazards of being in a world you don't know anything about. Daydreaming about visiting another age may be pleasant, but the reality is something else again. Wait a minute, friend. I heard the salesman call out behind me. I looked back as casually, I hoped, as the pedestrians who heard him. He was walking quickly towards me with a very worried expression in his face. I stepped up my own pace as unobtrusively as possible, trying to keep a lot of people between us, meanwhile praying that they'd think I was just somebody who was late for an appointment. The salesman didn't break into a run or yell for the cops, but I couldn't be so sure he wouldn't. As soon as I came to a corner, I turned and ran like hell. There was a sort of alley down the block. I jumped into it, found a basement door and stayed inside, pressed against the wall, quivering with tension and sucking air like a swimmer who'd stayed underwater too long. Even after I got my wind back, I wasn't anxious to go out. The place could have been cordoned off, with the police, the army, and the navy all cooperating to nab me. What made me think so? Not a thing, except remembering how puzzled our ancient Egyptian would have been if he got arrested in the subway for something everybody did casually and without punishment in his own time, spitting. I could have done something just as innocent, as far as you and I are concerned, that this era would consider a misdemeanor or a major crime, and in what age was ignorance of the law ever an excuse? Instead of going back out, I prowled carefully into the building. It was strangely silent and deserted. I couldn't understand why until I came to a lavatory there were little commodes and wash basins that came up to barely above my knees the place was a school naturally it was deserted the kids were all through for the day i could feel the tension dissolve in me like a ramrod of ice melting no longer keeping my back and neck stiff and taut there probably wasn't a better place in the city for me to hide a primary school the salesman had said to me everybody learns about the pack in primary education going through the school was eerie like visiting a familiar childhood scene that had been distorted by time into something almost totally unrecognizable there were no blackboards teachers big desk children's little desks inkwells pointers globes or books yet it was a school the small fixtures in the lavatory downstairs had told me that and so did the miniature chairs drawn neatly under the low vividly painted tables in the various school rooms a large comfortable chair was evidently where the teacher sat when not wandering around among the pupils In front of each chair, firmly attached to the table, was a box with a screen, and both sides of the box held spools of wire on blunt little spindles. The pools had large, clear numbers on them. Near the teacher's chair was a compact case with more spools on spindles, and there was a large screen on the inside wall opposite the enormous windows. I went into one of the rooms and sat down in the teacher's chair, wondering how I was going to find out about the Dynapack. I felt like an archaeologist, guessing at the functions of strange relics he'd found in a dead city. Sitting in the chair was like sitting on a column of air that let me sit upright or slump as I chose. One of the arms had a row of buttons. I pressed one and waited nervously to find out if I'd done something that would get me into trouble. Concealed lights in the ceiling and walls began glowing, getting brighter, while the room gradually turned dark. I glanced around bewilderedly to see why, because it was still daylight. The windows seemed to be sliding slightly, very slowly, and as they did, the sunlight was damped out. I grinned, thinking of what my ancient Egyptian would make of that. I knew there were two sheets of polarizing glass, probably with a vacuum between the two to keep out the cold and the heat, and the lights in the room were beautifully synchronized with the polarized sliding glass. I wasn't doing so badly. The rest of the objects might not be too hard to figure out. The spools in the case alongside the teacher's chair could be wire recordings. I looked for something to play them with, but there was no sign of a playback machine. I tried to lift the spool off the spindle. It wouldn't come off. Ha! The wires led down the spindle to the base of the box, holding the spool in place. That meant the spools could be played right in that position. But what started them playing? I hunted over the box minutely. Every part of it was featureless. No dials, switches, or any unfamiliar counterparts. I even tried moving my hands over it, figuring it might be like a theremin, and spoke to it in different shades of command, because it could have been built to respond to vocal orders. Nothing happened." Remember the Poe story that shows the best place to hide something is right out in the open, which is the last place anyone would look? Well, these things weren't manufactured to baffle people any more than our devices generally are. But it's only by trying everything that somebody who didn't know what a switch is would start up a vacuum cleaner, say, or light a big chandelier from a wall clear across the room. I pressed every inch of the box, hoping some part of it might act as a switch, and I finally touched one of the spindles. The spool immediately began spinning at very low speed and the screen on the wall opposite the window glowed into life. "'The history of the exploration of the solar system,' said an announcer's deep voice, "'is one of the most adventuresome in mankind's long list of achievements, "'beginning with the crude rockets developed during World War II. "'There were some newsreel shots of V-1 and V-2 being blasted from their takeoff ramps "'and a montage of later experimental models. "'I wished I could see how it all turned out, but I was afraid to waste the time watching. "'At any moment I might hear the footsteps of a guard or janitor or whoever tended buildings then.' i pushed the spindle again it checked the spool which rewound swiftly and silently and stopped itself when rewinding was finished i tried another a nightmare underwater scene appeared with the aid of energy screen said another voice the oceans of the world were completely charted by the year 2027. I turned it off then another on developments in medicine one on architecture one on history the geography of such places as the interior of south america and africa that were or are unknown today and i was getting frantic starting the wonderful wire films that held full frequency sound and pictures in absolutely faithful color and shutting them off hastily when i discovered they didn't have what i was looking for There were courses for children, but they all contained information that our scientists are still groping for, and I couldn't chance watching one all the way through. I was frustratedly switching off a film on psychology when a female voice said from the door, May I help you? I snapped around to face her in sudden fright. She was young and slim and slight, but she could scream loud enough to get help. Judging by the way she was looking at me, outwardly polite and yet visibly nervous, that scream would be coming any second. I must have wandered in here by mistake, I said, and pushed past her to the corridor, where I began running back the way I'd come. But you don't understand, she cried after me. I really want to help. Yeah, help, I thought, pounding toward the street door. A gag right out of that psychology film, probably. To get the patient to hold still, humor him until you can get somebody to put him where he belongs. That's what one of our teachers would do, provided she wasn't too scared to think straight. She found an old-looking guy thumbing frenziedly through the textbooks in a grammar school classroom. When I came to the outside door, I stopped. I had no way of knowing whether she'd given out an alarm or how she might have done it, but the obvious place to find me would be out on the street, dodging for cover somewhere. I pushed the door open and let it slam shut, hoping she'd hear it upstairs. Then I found a door, sneaked it open, and went silently down the steps. In the basement, I looked for a furnace or coal bin or a fuel tank to hide behind, but there weren't any. I don't know how they got their heat in the winter or cooled the building in the summer, perhaps some central atomic plant that took care of the whole city, piping in the heat or cooling in underground conduits that were let up through the walls because there weren't even any pipes visible. I hunched into the darkest corner I could find and hoped they wouldn't look for me there. By the time night came, hunger drove me out of the school, but I did it warily, making sure nobody was in sight. The streets of the shopping center were more or less deserted. There was no sign of a restaurant. I was so empty that I felt dizzy as I hunted for one. But then a shocking realization made me halt on the sidewalk and sweat with horror. Even if there had been a restaurant, what would I have used for money? Now I got the whole foul picture. She had sent old people back through time on errands like mine, and they'd starve to death because they couldn't buy food. No, that wasn't right. I remember what I told Lou Pape. "'Anybody who gets hungry enough can always find a truck gardener or a food store to rob. "'Only I hadn't seen a truck gardener or a food store anywhere in this city. "'And I thought about the people in the past having their hands cut off for stealing a loaf of bread. "'This civilization didn't look as if it went in for such drastic punishments, "'assuming I could find a loaf of bread to steal. "'But neither did most of the civilizations that practiced those barbarisms. "'I was more tired, hungry, and scared than I'd ever believed a human being could get. "'Lost.' completely lost in a totally alien world but one in which i could still be killed or starved to death and god knew what was waiting for me in my own time in case i came back without the information she wanted or maybe even if i came back with it that suspicion made up my mind for me whatever happened to me now couldn't be worse than what she might do at least i didn't have to starve i stopped a man in the street I let several others go by before picking him deliberately because he was middle-aged, had a kindly face, and was smaller than me, so I could slug him and run if he raised a row. "'Look, friend,' I told him, "'I'm just passing through town.' "'Ah,' he said pleasantly, and I seemed to have mislaid—no, that was dangerous. I'd been about to say I'd mislaid my wallet, but I still didn't know whether they used money in this era. He waited with a patient, friendly smile while I decided just how to put it. "'The fact is that I haven't eaten all day, and I was wondering if you he could help me get a meal.' He said in the most neighborly voice imaginable, ''I'll be glad to do anything I can, Mr. Weldon.'' My entire face seemed to drop open. ''You you called me Mr. Weldon,'' he repeated, still looking up at me with that neighborly smile. ''Mark Weldon, isn't it, from the 20th century?'' I tried to answer, but my throat had tightened up worse than on any opening night I'd ever had to live through. I nodded, wondering terrifiedly what was going on. ''Please relax,'' he said persuasively. ''You're not in any danger, whatever.'' "'We offer you our utmost hospitality. "'Our time, you might say, is your time. "'You know who I am. "'I managed to get out through my constricted glottis. "'I've been doing all this running and ducking and hiding for nothing.' "'He shrugged sympathetically. "'Everyone in the city was instructed to help you, "'but you were so nervous that we were afraid to alarm you with a direct approach. "'Every time we tried to, as a matter of fact, you vanished into one place or another. "'We didn't follow for fear of the effect on you. "'We had to wait until you came voluntarily to us.' My brain was racing again and getting nowhere. Part of it was dizziness from hunger, but only part. The rest was plain fright and confusion. They knew who I was. They'd been expecting me. They probably even knew what I was after, and they wanted to help. "'Let's not go into explanations now,' he said. "'Although I'd like to smooth away the bewilderment and fear on your face, "'but you need to be fed first. "'Then we'll call in the others,' and I pulled back. "'What others? "'How do I know you're not setting up something for me "'that i wish I hadn't gotten into?' before you approached me mr weldon you first had to decide that we represented no greater menace than may roberts please believe me we don't so he knew about that too all right i'll take my chances i gave in resignedly where does a guy find a place to eat in this city It was a handsome restaurant with soft light coming from three-dimensional, full-color nature murals that I might mistakenly have walked into if I'd been alone. They looked so much like gardens and forests and plains. It was no wonder I couldn't find a restaurant or food store or truck garden anywhere. Food came up through pneumatic chutes in each building. I've been told on the way over, grown in hydroponic tanks in cities that specialized in agriculture. And those who wanted to eat out could drop into the restaurant each building had. Every city had its own function. This one was for people in the arts. I like that. There was a glowing menu on the table with buttons alongside various selections. I looked starvingly at the items, trying to decide which I wanted most. I picked oysters, onion soup, breasted guinea hen under plexiglass, and was hunting for the tastiest and most recognizable dessert when the pleasant little guy shook his head regretfully and emphatically. I'm afraid you can't eat any of those foods, Mr. Weldon, he said in a sad voice. We'll explain why in a moment. A waiter and the manager came over. They obviously didn't want to stare at me, but they couldn't help it. I couldn't blame them. I'd have stared at somebody from George Washington's time, which is about what I must have represented to them. Will you please arrange to have the special food for Mr. Weldon delivered here immediately, the little guy asked. Every restaurant's been standing by for this, Mr. Carr, said the manager. It's on its way. Prepared, of course. It's been ready since he first arrived. Fine, said the little guy Carr. It can't be too soon. He's very hungry. I glanced around and noticed for the first time that there was nobody else in the restaurant. It was past the dinner hour, but even so, they're always late diners. We had the place all to ourselves, and it bothered me. They could have ganged up on me. But they didn't. A light gong sounded, and the waiter and manager hurried over to a slot of a door and brought out a couple of trays, loaded with covered dishes. Your dinner, Mr. Weldon, the manager said, putting the plates in front of me and removing the lids. I stared down at the food. This, I told them angrily, is a hell of a trick to play on a starving man. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like what you hear, head over to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Kelsey Narrates and help support me by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month. I'm not going to get rich doing this, but it does take money to keep a podcast running. All patrons get early access to every episode I publish. This ebook is for the use of anyone, anywhere at no cost, and with almost no restrictions whatsoever. You may copy it, give it away, or reuse it under the terms of the Project Gutenberg license, available at Gutenberg.org. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the wiki new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts.